Spy balloons, balloons, bubbles, pop news. Spy balloon news, goddamn. All right, spy balloon news. China has said that the spy balloons are not their balloons. In Japan, the government has said, if we have a balloon in our airspace, we're going to shoot it down. We're going to pop that balloon. Uh, and then China said, don't attack China's stuff. And we're like, well, hey, you just said that's not your balloon. So if we blow it up, it's not as cool, man. Uh, it, clearly, people don't realize the contradictions they're making. But I've been following a very weird story. A giant metal orb has washed up on the shore of Japan. It's a 1.5 meter metal ball has washed up on a beach and resident discovered it on a morning walk and called the police. Because now we have so much circular-oriented, terrifying news, it must be a spy device. Another person rolled up and said, dude, it's been there for like a month. I tried to push it back in the water. It was too heavy. Uh, is it a UFO? No. Is it a spy balloon? No, because it's metal, so it's not going to float. Is it a gorilla egg? A Godzilla egg is one of the ideas. Is it? Some people were speculating that it was a Godzilla egg, and then some people were very worried that it was a mine. World War II bombs, World War II mines still show up in Japan. Like they were excavating to build a new building, and they found an unexploded bomb. This has happened like recently, in like the last year. Uh, turns out they, so the police show up. They're all real stressed out about this. They show up and they're like, what is this metal ball? And they x-ray it and it's hollow. So it's just like a magic metal ball. No, it's not. It's just a buoy. Uh, a buoy, if you want to be very technical. This, of course, has gotten everyone all freaked out because anything now that is circular and, and just not accounted for, basically it was a buoy from the ocean. It got free and it floated around. That's it. Uh, that was an entire week's worth of news uh, that people did not seem to you know, logically think through. But further, balloon-oriented news. Japan has a commercial space viewing tiny bubble. And so what's, what they have is this little bubble. It's, one, it's also 1.5 meters in diameter. It's the, actually the same size as the ball from the previous story, which is a little coincidental. I don't know, because it's not. It's just, it is coincidental. Um, basically, it's it's a little ball they're going to connect to a balloon and fly you up into space so that you can view space. You're not going to leave the atmosphere, but you're going to get into, I believe, the stratosphere. So when you look out, you're actually going to see the Earth. You can see the curvature of the Earth. This will. I actually want to get uh, flat earthers into this bubble and bring them up and then see what they say when they come back down. But you'll be able to see... Sorry, Dave's on my lap. You'll actually be able to see space. So this is the kind of thing I, as like a science fiction fan, am really into. I would really love to do this. It's safe, economical, and gentle for people. It has two seats, one for a pilot and one for a passenger. Its airtight cabin can go up 25 kilometers. It's, the balloon's going to be powered by helium, so you're going to be able to float up into the sky, gently float back down is the idea. This is going to cost 24 million yen at first. Now, the plan is to bring it down, and the guy said, to several million yen. Uh, average salary in Japan is 4 to 5 million yen a year, which means for the nor a normal person, this is unavailable. This is going to be half a year's salary to be able to fly up into space. Now, if it gets really popular and really common, maybe it does get cheaper. Uh, the thing is, 
so this is a 1.5 meter diameter. I am 1.84 centimeters tall. I don't believe this is designed for my comfort. I think this ball has been designed for by Japanese people, kind of for Japanese people. I don't think they're taking size into account for other people. It just looks so tiny. And then my thought is, it's a ball suspended by a balloon and it goes up and there's a problem with the balloon. I assume it has parachutes. I don't know, man. It's terrifying. I don't think I'm ready for this, even if it is like, as they say, perfectly safe and very gentle because you're going to float up and float back down. I don't know. I just, I just, for me, it was too scary. I don't think I'll be doing it. There was a yearbook maker and they did some surveys and they found that 40% of kids want their pictures photoshopped. So I, we didn't have Photoshop when I was in high school, uh, which makes me think, uh, what do we do? What do we do? But 80% of parents don't want their kids' pictures photoshopped, which means there's 20% that do. I guess 40% who want their pictures photoshopped is not, that's the minority. 60% don't care. But what they're actually saying is most pictures in the yearbook, like sort of not planned, uh, just out in the wild photos from your school year, all the kids are going to be wearing masks. You're not going to be able to see their faces. So I'm wondering if what they're saying is I'd like my face photoshopped onto my own face so that you don't have a picture of me wearing a mask. Because over the pandemic, every sort of photo of, of kids that would go into a yearbook has actually had all their masks on, which is kind of sad. Uh, it's something I hadn't thought about. That's actually why I found this story interesting, because it's kind of sad that these kids, most of their memories are going to be with a mask, which is pretty crap. Uh, but yearbooks are kind of becoming a thing of the past. 80% of students use social media for memorable moments. So what they're saying is, is they take pictures of them and their friends, they stick it on social media. The problem with social media is it's you know designed for you to be adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Uh, my wife, my family, they take thousands of pictures and they don't do any organization of them. They're just like reams and reams of pictures. And when you ask someone to show you a picture, they always take like five minutes to find it. So Booty Scratcher 4 just says, I have a three-year-old son that I'd hate to make him cover his face in photos. Yeah, and when he gets older and goes to school... Uh, He's, I guess maybe in the next couple of years because the mandate for masks in Japan is going away in March, which means you don't have to wear a mask. But the thing is, I'm thinking about pandemic kids, the kids we've just spent the last three years. My daughter's 13. She has spent three years. And three years of your life when you're 13 is a significant portion of your life wearing a mask all day, every day. She's actually gotten very used to not showing her face. And I think she might prefer to wear a mask because she's like self-conscious about it now. So we have this whole generation of kids now who grew up during the pandemic. We have um, what I'm essentially calling pandemic babies, kids who were like three or four when the pandemic started, and they spent one or two years essentially in isolation with no interaction or physical contact. Uh, when we get those, like I work at an English teaching school, um, when those kids get any sort of physical contact, they get super excited because they just haven't been you know, they don't wrestle, they don't touch, they don't, they don't like high five, they don't do any of that anymore. So any physical contact to them is super, super exciting and encouraging, which I'm, yeah, I'm thinking there's going to be this generation of kids that just has a very different way of thinking about human interactions. And with the stories of Japan's declining birth rate and stuff, actually, this is one of the stories coming up later. 
80% of students use social media for memorable moments, which I actually find kind of sad because to me, social media seems almost impermanent. 60% of the kids use Instagram, 58% use Line. Line is a messaging service that's in Asia. Uh, it's not necessarily popular in North America. Um, it's a good service, but they, it's one of those ones where they have everything. I think all the messaging service. I think all the services now are the same. They all have photo sharing. They all have messaging. They all have different kinds of things. Uh, Twitter and TikTok was 13.5%. Yeah, there's a whole generation of kids growing up now that the pandemic has affected the way they see their own face because they've spent all their public time with a mask on. So what point, what do you, what point do you like, they're going to have to almost force them to not wear masks. So they get used to not wearing a mask when they're hanging out with each other. Cause a lot of kids are actually saying that it's the, the, like they'll wear a mask. They'll actually be more comfortable out in public with a mask on than with a mask off, which is a whole different sort of way of thinking for me. There's been another rush on products in Japan. So I got to get the name right. Ryuka-kusan is a herbal candy. And apparently this happened a couple weeks ago with a Paburon, Paburon cold medicine. So basically there's some kind of medicine in Japan and there's a rumor in China that this is really effective against coronavirus. And then Chinese people come to Japan and they buy it all. Um, it's not. It's like cold medicine, so it will help with a cough. It will help with symptoms, but it doesn't actually prevent coronavirus. But the way it's being sold on social media in China is that it actually will defend or help against coronavirus, so they buy it all because they're also terrified of coronavirus. They've just stopped the like zero COVID policy in China, which actually means they've gone through a little burst of coronavirus. So Ryukakusen herbal throat candy in Ryukakusen. It actually sounds like a, a move in Street Fighter. Ryukakusen throat refreshing tablets these are herbal remedies so of course they're not going to stop coronavirus they're designed for coughs and sore throats and even the the manufacturer says these are not medicine it's just like a candy that helps soothe your throat but a rumor's gone around in china that this is going to stop coronavirus so chinese people have come to japan and they're actually buying it all up it's good in that you know this company's making a ton of money but it's bad in that you know japanese people can't get their throat candy I am a foreign resident in Japan. Uh, I'm a permanent resident because I'm married and I have kids, so they gave me a permanent visa. That's actually interesting because a lot of people, like, it's hard to get... I don't want citizenship. I don't want to lose my Canadian passport or my British passport, uh, whereas Japan, you can't have dual citizenship. So I would not actually want to become Japanese, which some people, like, kind of want to do. But because I'm a permanent resident of Japan but not Japanese, therefore I cannot vote. So it has come up, should, this comes up almost every couple of years, should foreign residents be allowed to vote? Not vote for like prime minister and stuff, but vote in like referendums. So basically I pay taxes, but I, as a, as a permanent resident, I pay taxes, I work here, I pay income tax, all this other stuff. So do I get to vote in anything? The answer is no. In the government, only 16% of assembly members even want to have the conversation. So not only do Japanese people, uh, government-wise, want to like have foreign people have their input, only 16% even want to have the conversation. You can assume that 16% is the ones that actually think that foreign people who live in Japan should have a say. Uh, everyone else, the 74%, or is it 84? Uh, 
Yeah, 84% don't even want to have the conversation. Because it gets to a point where it's like, well, if they pay taxes and they live here and they do all the stuff they're supposed to do, shouldn't they have a say in how society is run? Whereas their actual feeling is no. But then they have to come out and say no, which makes them look racist. And you can't look racist anymore. Uh, There was, when I came to Japan, it was perfectly acceptable to just come out and say, I don't believe foreign people should have basic human rights in Japan because they're not Japanese. So it should be Japanese first, foreign or second. Now society has shifted enough that that's not acceptable for a politician to say. So a bunch of politicians get have gotten in trouble for saying vaguely racist things and then going like, what? It's just foreigners. So when they talk to the other percentage that didn't even want to have the conversation, 50%, 56% said I can't say why we shouldn't have the debate. Because if, the, the second part that they don't say, because if I say what I think, I'm going to sound racist. Uh, 24% say they don't think they should, we should pursue it further because this is already a settled thing. Why should we talk about change? And that's an interesting position for a politician to take, that we should not even consider change. And about 2% of the Japanese uh, population of Japan right now is not Japanese. So when I came to Japan, it was 1% of the population was non-Japanese. That's actually mostly Chinese and Korean people. They come here for work and whatnot. Uh, there's a lot of Filipinos as well for, uh, in the healthcare sec- sector. But it's doubled. I mean, 1% to 2% is not very much, but it has actually doubled in the time I've been in Japan. This is a civil rights issue. Uh, and then the people who are arguing for it are saying, like, this is about you know your right to have your voice heard in society. This is about civil rights. Uh, But again, the average Japanese person doesn't consider a foreign person as having a civil rights as a reasonable request. Because if you want that, you should go back where you came from. Talked about low-key racism in Japan a few times. Uh, I actually want to have a conversation with one of my other friends who lives in Japan about it, like our experiences. Because I've never had that many direct racist experiences, but low-key in society, it's just there bubbling under all the time. We have a couple of exciting arrests. Uh, this is a thing called specialized fraud, which is, a thing, which is a thing I'd never heard of before. And it's where you gain someone's trust using remote means. So basically you either contact them on the internet or on the telephone. This was interesting to me because it was different from just fraud, where you just go out and straight lie to people to their face. You gain their trust first and then you sort of have like a whole, it's more like a con, I think, is specialized fraud. But this was a 15-year-old girl called up an old lady who was in her 70s, impersonating a municipal employee saying, you have a government refund coming. Uh, We need to make a new bank card for you. So we're going to have a representative show up at your house and they will help you make a new card. And then using that, we can get you your refund. So then the 15-year-old dressed up in a suit, went to the old lady's house, got her original bank card and ATM information, went to the bank and withdrew half a million yen. The police are looking at this as like a ring, but I'm wondering, because this is us all the information they gave, when you're not of legal adult age, the police don't release any information about you because you're underage. But also in Japan, there's almost no uh, punishment. So she's going to get a slap on the wrist. She's going to get in trouble, but she's actually not going to go to prison. She's not going to be punished properly because she's a minor. And I'm thinking maybe there's a ring of people who are now kind of recruiting underage people to commit these crimes because they don't get punished the same way as if, let's say, I as an adult did it, I would go to prison for X amount of years. And that 
might be like a new style crime because you now have the stratification of society where you have really, really old people, uh, which is a majority of the people in Japan. You have young people who are, you know, facing limited options in what they can do for work. Turning to a life of crime while you're underage, actually, because of the leniency of the Japanese criminal system, is not a bad idea. I hate that I do this so regularly on Ninja News Japan. I give good criminal advice, but it's because I think about it in a logical way. And if you're going to commit a crime in Japan, you should absolutely do it while you're underage because you basically won't be punished. And then when you turn to an adult, that gets expunged. Your record doesn't exist anymore. I, I enjoyed this one weirdly. A man was arrested because at a company party, so they had some kind of like, let's say a New Year's party or something like that. A woman got up from the table. So this is probably like I'm one of those ones where you sit on the floor. She got up and she went to get some more food or something. A man reached over, grabbed the back of her pants and pulled them down to her knees. Now she was, of course, embarrassed. Uh, she, the, she, the man uh, started laughing. All the other men at the table started laughing. And I was like, what is the crime here? Because it's, it's clearly actually you should not be like ripping off other people's clothes. But of course, them being a group of men who were probably drunk at the time, they all thought it was hilarious. The man is being brought up on sexual assault, assault charges. Um, and I'm really glad she pursued this because this is, again, when I talk about low-key racism in Japan as a society, uh, low-key sexism is right on its heels. Like as much progress as they may have made, it's not very much overall. The man's defense, though, is a classic Japanese man's defense. It's, I didn't do it. I was drunk and I don't remember. Now, those are actually conflicting statements. I was drunk and I don't remember conflicts with I didn't do it. Because if I was drunk and I don't remember, that means there is just as much chance that I did it as I didn't. I don't remember isn't complicit with being drunk. I know they often go together. But I think what's actually happened is he remembers doing it. He remembers getting the big laugh and everyone thinking he's awesome for about two minutes. And then he remembers the police showing up and telling him he sexually assaulted a coworker. Uh, it's gross. It's gross behavior. But of course, in the moment, everyone thinks it's hilarious. But at a company function, there's no way he should get away with that. He should, his boss should have actually like torn him a new one. And I bet his boss was sitting there laughing with everyone else. I was wondering, though, if there could be a secondary charge. Because it's not, it's sexual harassment if they all sit there and laugh. So maybe officially the police would struggle to do anything with that, but the company could actually come down pretty hard on anyone who found that amusing, which would be interesting. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. One of the bigger stories this week, just the last couple of days, there's a ryokan. And a ryokan is an old style Japanese hotel. They are often connected with hot springs. Now, I knew that hot springs overall were not actually pumped in from a real hot spring going through a volcano and stuff. I knew it was like goes through machines and whatnot. But I didn't think about this. So the Ryokan has only been changing its hot spring water twice a year, which means that essential bath water gets pumped in, gets pumped out, goes through a heater, gets pumped in again. And I always thought, ah, oh, you, you, you sort of think it's hot enough, it's going to kill anything in the water. But that is obviously not the case. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a news story. Legionella is a bacteria. And it was 3,700 times the legal limit uh, in the water at this Ryokan. Which means you are bathing in bacteria soup 
if you get in that. And this has actually really put me off the hot springs because what assurance do I have? They say since 2019, they've been telling everyone, oh, we change the water regularly. It's clean. We put a, uh, the proper amount of chlorine in it. They haven't. So they haven't been changing the water and they haven't been putting in the chlorine to kill everything. Uh, they have been accused of lying. They came out uh, with an apology. Uh, I think it's really, really hurt. Last week on Ninja News Japan, we had the uh, the creepy, gross men who would go up in a mountain and get a telephoto lens and video women bathing in public baths. This, now you have a combination. Not only could I be naked in public and someone actually videos me, but I could be bathing my body in a bacteria soup, which now has made something I really enjoyed. I really used to enjoy going to public baths. One of my most positive experiences in Japan was getting a private hotel with a uh, bath on the balcony. So it was called a hot spring, but I know it was just a bath. And now I might not want to do that again. Yeah. It's so gross, but it is also just the reality of uh, shared bathing. That place is probably going to get shut down. I can't see anyone going there again in the future. Japanese study on the climate impact of cow burps. Now, I mentally thought, ah, cow burps, I mean, you mean farting's bad, burping's bad, but it's just cows, it's not fine. Turns out that one cow can equal 1.7 cars. So the cow, the methane they produce through burping and farting uh, could be a major cause of global warming because we all eat a lot of meat. And so they're trying to find some way to offset the climate impact of the methane that cows produce. So they've, they're designing stomach sensors. They're going to put these, these sensors into the cows. They're going to use AI to monitor methane emissions made by cows. And they want to, the, the goal is to cut cow methane emissions by 80% by 2050, which is great. I didn't think about any of this. I didn't realize any of it. So that this is actually all new information to me. How they come up with this solution is amazing. Cashew nut shells mixed into cow feed produces a healthy acid in the stomach and not methane. So basically, if they take cow feed and mix in cashew shells, the cows are not going to be burping and farting methane. They're going to be producing this acid in the stomach, which helps them digest the grass better, which means it, that alone, just mixing in cashew shells, not even the nuts. So you got to have a, a company that produces cashews. They shell them, sell the nuts, and then sell or give the nuts to farmers, and they're essentially solving climate change or at least the impact that cows have on it which is shocking and it's this combination of science and technology and innovation that on something that i didn't even know was a problem and they're already fixing it i love science i love i love the stuff they do and i want to support them any way i can so good on you uh cow scientists okay it's our last story and it's low birth rates and we've done this a million times and I have always known what the solution is but of course uh, politicians can't admit what the real problem is so they can't figure out what the real solution is. So this is almost the opposite of the previous story where I know the problem and the solution they just don't see it the same way. An assemblyman gave a speech and he said the problem the reason we have low birth rates in Japan is Japanese have low romantic ability. Now, my first thing is, how do you define 
romantic ability because that phrase doesn't seem to mean anything. Uh, so he's asked for an analysis of Japan's low romantic ability. So how do you measure it, first of all? What is it is problem number one. Problem number two is how do you measure romantic ability? He wants uh, surveys. And then there have been some other surveys we talked about like problems with relationships. And uh, people have responded, I don't have confidence and I can't get along with the opposite sex. The reason you would have low romantic ability is because you do not interact with the opposite sex enough. Now, I have held true that the Japanese education system, <laughs> Johnny Bravo called it mojo. That is absolutely 100% correct. J- Japan needs more mojo. But where does mojo come from? This is actually, you've actually hit on the point. Mojo comes from interacting with people. Not even the opposite sex, just getting the skills, the natural skills to interact with other people in a positive and friendly way. And that applies to both men and women, regardless of your sexual orientation. If I interact with a lot of men, I'm going to know how to interact with men. Uh, If I interact with a lot of women, I'm going to know how to interact with women. But at the core problem is that they're people. Japanese school education and then work culture is set up that you actually have very little time socially to interact with other people in a natural way. So I remember my high school. I was a terrible student. I didn't get my shit together until the very last year of high school when I actually realized if I don't get good scores, I'm not going to university. My son is currently finishing his um, uh, high school exams. And so he's going to do, he's going to graduate from junior high school do these exams, and that's going to decide what high school he goes to, and that's going to decide what university he goes to, which will essentially decide the path of his future. He's 15 years old. He doesn't interact with girls because he's studying all the time. So I'm, now, my son, he's my son, so he's got a certain sort of, he's got it going on. But for a normal kid, Because you've never interacted with the opposite sex or people you find attractive, you don't know how to interact with them. So when you hit your 17, 18, 19, 20, when you would be dating pretty seriously, you don't know how to do it, which means approaching women is hard. Because you have to go through the like, I have to approach women and get rejected. I have to learn how to do it. Uh, That is, I guess, your romantic ability. So the low romantic ability for me comes from that the system designed through education, the system designed for work, makes it so that the average Japanese person does not interact with people in a social way, therefore never learns the social skills. So they're going to be talking about dating, meeting people, and like this romantic ability. He's, what he's saying is that, uh, again, just like Johnny Bravo called it mojo, Japanese people don't have mojo. But you're not going to have like a class where you teach mojo successfully. You have to have people spend free time interacting with each other, which means we have to get uh, work-life balance has to be rebalanced in Japan. Education system has to be rebalanced in Japan so that people in Japan have time to be people in Japan and hang out with other people in Japan and not learn how to you know, date from a class or the internet or something, which as we've probably all learned is not where you do it. Weirdly enough, here I am on the internet telling people what they need to do. But what I'm actually saying is don't learn how to date from a podcast like mine. Don't learn how to date from a course you took that's sponsored by the government. Learn how to date by actually hanging out with people. I'm not even saying date, really. I'm saying hang out with other people. Hang out with women, hang out with men, hang out with mixed groups. Just learn how to you know, manage those social interactions 
But Japanese school is set up so that you have to study. And then after you go to school, you have to go to Juku, which is cram school. You go to Juku, you get home at 10 o'clock, you go to bed. You're probably studying before you go to bed. And then you get up and do it all again. You're not being a kid. You're, and then in high school, you're not being a high school, a teenager. And then when you get to university, you got a couple free years. That's usually when relationships happen. But now I'm so awkward because I've never done it before. I can't get a, a good relationship. So I give up. Then where do I end up? I get a job that has me working 500 hours a week. Yeah, of course the birth rate's going down. You need people to, to, to go out and be people and have lives and stuff. And that is the sunshiny note we're ending Ninja News Japan on. But Japanese government needs to listen to my podcast. Pay attention to what I'm saying. We need to revamp the entire system. I know that seems overwhelming, but it would be a new boon to Japan if we could actually get it right. So I actually, there is a glimmer of positivity in there in the end because what I'm saying is it can be fixed and it actually wouldn't take that much. 